welcome to The Pestle. Reviewing and breaking down the movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Todd, who completes Wes. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Fun With Flags, presented by Sheldon Cooper. Get your vexillology on with Sheldon Cooper Presents Fun With Flags. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. I'm Wes. <laughs> and I'm Todd. And this is The Pestle, where we like to analyze, break down, tease apart films. I purposefully don't read those. <laughs> Just so you can So that I can hear you. Like, I'll go, go through the rundown that you make, and I'll read all the stuff that I make sure I want to cover. But <laughs> I purposely don't read those, because it's so much more fun when you read it. <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't know you did that. No, yeah. So we are filmmakers. Todd's a producer full-time. Uh, I'm a full-time filmmaker. Like I shoot, write, edit, and poop out videos every day, all day. That's exhausting. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> um, but, you get a, but you get a lot of reading done. <laughs> so much. And the bidet helps keep oh, everything fresh. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and so we try to look at films from filmmakers' perspectives, like what can we learn about this? What can we uh, use for our own purposes whenever I'm thinking about making something? Or I'm even reviewing someone. Yesterday I shot a test roll of Kodak has a new roll of film out called Ectochrome. Well, it's an old film that they brought back and revived and it's this beautiful very saturated specific look and uh, so I went over to shoot this buddy's uh, with a buddy I was loaning him my super 16 camera he was like hey we just finished a short film Uh, come check it out and give me your thoughts and it's one of those things where I do this I wouldn't say professionally but we we do this often you do it for a living yeah well that's the problem is I don't get paid for this oh that particular (laughs) yeah okay um but we do this, I mean, this is the 87th time we've, you know, put together an actual agenda on breaking down and analyzing something. And so, oh, you mean this? Okay. You the know, podcast, yeah. podcasting. And so sitting down with someone who's showing me their short film and I sit for 10 minutes through a short film, I'm probably going to have thoughts, um, <laughs> even if I don't want to have them. And so it was cool though. This is going. Yeah. And so I, I was like, yeah, so on the, Plus side, these are the things that really grabbed me. Here's here are my issues. You know, uh, there was no tension. Blah blah. It felt like there should have been tension, and uh, and so where that comes in, how you execute that, I don't know. But like, here's uh, some serious issues, and he he's a filmmaker, so he gets it. Like when you ask someone like me and uh, for their thoughts and their opinions, like I I knew he wasn't just saying that. Yeah, knowing this kind of person, he, he was hoping that you would. Constructive, yeah, yeah, yeah. Be give him constructive criticism. Yeah, because this is why I almost never ask people for feedback on my stuff. I can already just by sitting and watching it with someone, I can tell where it's falling flat and where it's not working, and then adjust from there. But if I do, it's because I want those actual, you know, that actual feedback. Whereas most people, when they want feedback on something, they don't. They want praise, Mm -hmm. and that's a frustrating thing. And I, I tend to suss those people out. But knowing him, I was like, yeah, no, 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 he's, he's a professional. He wants actual feedback. And so uh, we, we can have a really good conversation right now. And, and then he started like going back through clips and saying, yeah, what about this part? Uh, and he was like, I think this shot didn't work. I was like, no, 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 that shot's great. Actually, it's the setup. There was no setup for that payoff. Like mm-hmm. I didn't understand the stakes that were involved and that you can't get any of that tension out of me because of that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were so many things and stuff that we'll certainly get to. And when we talk about collateral, but yeah, it's been, I have no idea why I went off on that <laughs> run, but as filmmakers, we just love to kind of uh, look at things and learn and try to make it better. And yeah, I guess this podcast has yeah. really been informative to me on how to do that. And, you know, in my own work and whenever I'm looking at projects. Yeah. And has it, do you think that it's changed? I mean, you've always been kind of an analytical film watcher, but do you think that it's changed in the last two years from since we started doing this, like, yeah. or like, I mean, has it gotten more, more granular, I guess you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I watch films now and I can start to more quickly button down oh, here's why they're doing this thing. I was watching a movie last night that I love. I've seen it 
literally dozens and dozens of times and I'm watching it for the first time in you know a few years and I was like oh this is a really clever way to get through some exposition like they're using this parlor trick um, to get us background information on on a really big cast there's like six people sitting at a table and they're all doling out exposition in this really fun way and I was like oh this is cool and it's not Reservoir Dogs <laughs> yeah <it's> like- <laughs> What movie? Notting Hill. Um, oh, there's a scene early oh. on. and I, I would never have guessed that. Yeah, it's an older movie, but uh, I'd like to cover I've that at some point, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe we can do that in like December. I remember liking it. I love but it. But I've only seen it once. It's a really, it's one of those movies that just people, for whatever reason, didn't really watch or I didn't hear anything about. And I sat down on like VHS tape ages ago and I was mm-hmm. like, why has nobody told me about this movie? I love it. it Mm-hmm. Presses all my buttons anyway. So, got it. Yeah. All so, right. Wes is a Notting Hill button. So, yeah, I would say doing this show has definitely changed the way I watch movies now and the way I think about where things are happening and why they're doing a thing and the importance of certain elements. And mm-hmm. when something's falling flat, I can usually kind of pinpoint why this isn't working for me as an audience member. And hopefully, yeah. I'm getting better at sussing that out in my own work too i'm like oh here's why this blows or this isn't creating the reaction that i want that's a process though you gotta yeah i'm creating through that yeah i imagine that's gotta be hard so i always compare movies and music but they're like uncomparable so but it's gotta be hard to you know you sit down and you and you write something right so like this is, I think, more for me drastically changed the way I, I watch movies, right? Totally drastically. You know, I watch it from, I've always watched it from like um, an entertainment standpoint. I just love being entertained. And I've always said I'm an easy lay. You put me in a, yeah. you put me in a theater and I'm from the very first already, episode. Yeah. It's like, it's it, uh, like I've gone, the people that go out to watch comedy, they're ready to laugh. They want to laugh. You just have to like, you know, chip away the stone. Like mm-hmm. they just, they want to laugh. I want to like your movie. Yeah. You have to convince me to not like it. <laughs> right. Usually. But since, you know, doing this podcast, you know, I've uh, written a couple of shorts, which I've never done before. And there's so much fun, you know, so a lot of times, or at least when I've done it, the little times I've done it and you could speak to this as a writer, but I just sit down and I just write. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you go back and you read it and, you know, you try to think of it from like a point of view of like, what would this look like? You know, like, how would I want this to look? What would I, I'm so visual that I would even, I would see the shot angles. I would, you know, how long am I hanging on this shot? Like, is this extra long? You know, is it a wide angle lens? Is it like close up? Like, you know, uh, and what's going to fill the frame? Like I'm seeing all that stuff now. And then, so, but my point is that's gotta be a weird feeling to write something, see it in your head. Right. And then you go to make it and you make it and it's not something isn't right right and so you're you're having to change on the fly what you've had in your head and or on the page for so long cuz rarely do you write something and then go shoot it next week it's perfect yeah. yeah you you write it and you sit on it and you yeah. you know work on it again you sit on it mostly because we don't have the money to make right, it that's right. but if even if we did we'd probably do that what is that's got to be really hard to do because like usually like, okay, for music, if you write a song, you know, you work on it, you work on it, right. You know, you kind of rewrite it or whatever. And then you go into studio and usually it like in some way works out, you're going to change some things and stuff, but it's totally different from, you know, getting a crew together, going and shooting these shots. And then you get back to the edit room after it's done and you got to make something out of it. And it's not turning out the way that you had in your head. It's not, you know, you can't, it's just very different, right? It's very final. Super. So what, like, what does that, it's got to feel weird. Yeah, it's weird. It's scary. And I haven't written anything narrative since we started the show, which is way too long now that I say that out loud, but even writing, you know, scripts, we're working on a project right now. Uh, and it's a comedy and it's like, I'm used to writing comedy a specific kind of way where the jokes are just super funny off the page. And in this case, the jokes aren't like incredibly laugh out loud funny off the page. And I know I'm going to be relying a heavy amount on actors. And so the idea of having to sit in a room and really grind out, okay, how can we play with the scene? How can we get these intentions across and make it uh, punchy? And then 
believe that I can show up on set the day of, like you said, you get this crew together and now you have all these setups and uh, now you're hoping that that same chemistry is still clicking on the day of that was clicking in rehearsal. And then I hope you know all our shots because you might get in post and say, oh, crap, that really important coverage that we thought we had is like really fuzzy or the audio goes out. Like there's all kinds of weird things that can happen that suddenly you're editing around a thing and maybe you have to do an, an ADR session, which is automated dialogue replacement. And, uh, it sounds weird and I hate it. I hate ADR. And so you just, yeah, it's, it's incredibly intimidating and weird and you're vulnerable the entire time to not just people who might eventually see it, but to people who are on set, the people, you know, the editor, when things aren't working and I go through this with everything I shoot, it doesn't matter if it's narrative or not. My documentaries, my, the other project we shot recently, the, uh, the cube fit, uh, super hype video sports thing. And I'll be putting that on the next day or so, but it's intimidating. I, I had this great visualization. I know exactly what I want to get. And that takes the most time shooting it for me i can really shoot very very quickly once i know what i want and then i don't want to look at when i'm on set shooting i'm like this is all terrible i don't have it yet i don't have it yet and then i get home and i won't look at it for as long as humanly possible i put that off <laughs> until i finally start editing it and then i look at some of the the shots and i'm like yep terrible just like you thought you idiot why didn't you do this instead and, yeah. and then i just say okay I start working baby steps. I'm like, okay, just load it up in your, just set up your project, open up premiere, get the files in, organize the files, organize your shot list, organize, uh, everything. Okay. Now just look at one shot. Is there anything good in the shot? Yeah. Grab that. That's your, that's your pool. How do you need to eat an elephant? One bite at a time. One bite at a time. And then once I get that far, I can scrap all the things, all the shots that I didn't like. And now I'm just left with, Oh, this shot works and this shot works. How can I make them squeeze together? This is why it's really hard for me to let anybody else edit my content mm. because I don't know that they're going to see the world the way I do. Yeah. And getting to that point is so satisfying whenever you, you finally edit it and you have it all clicking and you're like, Oh, you know what? Maybe I'm not a moron after all. Well, not as big a moron. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would like to hear what, how like Christopher Nolan yeah. or, you know, other directors like that feel on set, you know, obviously, you know, if you make something like Inception or Interstellar, then you know your shit. Yeah. But there's got to be times, or there, at least in their career, there has to have been times where they've felt like, oh man, the whole imposter syndrome, you know, and mm-hmm. and you just have to fight through that. Like, like, no, I trust myself. I've done this before. You know, it's just, a, it's just, it's just, it's just a bigger stage. Yeah. That's all. You know, now I have more you know, given to me instead of seeing that as like a, as like a, Oh, I have more given to me. So I hope I don't (laughs) screw this up now because then I'll be, you know, terrible. It's like a, no, now I have what I need, you know, or whatever. And that's always exciting for me is the pre-production side is, I don't know that I have a favorite part, but if I did, it would be pre-pro because that's when you see a project come to life Mm. is in the visualization of it and everything from there is execution. Um, but Yeah. Yeah. It's all scary. And I am curious. This has definitely shaped the way I do big and small projects doing this. I think more intensively about even if I'm making like some throwaway video for a friend, I'm like, okay, well, why do I want this shot? And what's this emotional moment? How can I emphasize that emotional moment and intent? Like I do these Amazon videos sometimes where it's like, oh, it's a baby's whatever, a, a toddler cage. And I start thinking about a toddler cage. Whatever. What do you call them? What the hell <laughs> are you filming? <laughs> and stay away from my children. Stay away from my toddlers. Okay. All right. <laughs> I don't know where this conversation is going. Guys. Okay. This episode is not going to be about what we thought it was going to be about. We're going to be talking about toddler cages and all the filming thereof. Uh, a baby pin. Is that a thing? Sure. That's yeah. better. It's better than toddler cage. <laughs> <laughs> I think pretty much anything would be. Oh, you know, I just like to throw them in a room and lock the door. <laughs> did you not have one growing up? or is Toddler that cage? No, yeah. I did not. I had a crib. Oh. Um, yeah. I had a, uh, well, now they're called pack and play. 
the the pack and play where you can like pack it up and things work differently whatever. in Somerville, Todd. Okay, <laughs> so you had so you had cages. Yeah. Somerville, it were all like like rusty metal cages. <laughs> We had, we had those little water bottles that attached oh, to the Oh, yeah, with the ball at the with end. The ball, yeah. <laughs> little rat thing. Water bottle. Oh, man, that's actually a great Food idea. Pellets. Yeah. That's actually a great idea. I just built a fort for my kids in our in our guest room. Oh, that's where Simon God. is sleeping right now. <laughs> and, you know... He, he's we only have one tv in the house and it's up there in that room so he could like play his games on there or whatever there's a fan in there because it gets kind of hot in there oh <laughs> so might as well put like a water bottle in there <laughs> oh, let me refill you yeah <laughs> what were we talking about i have no idea toddler gauges yeah and so oh, yeah, oh, amazon just, video yeah so yeah. we'll wrap this up and we'll move on but uh just, i don't know i this is probably going to be the highest rated episode that we've ever really done is. And so can you just, hashtag toddler cages on this? We will. We will. We're going to blow up. <laughs> sorry. So, sorry. And so even just having, you know, a picture of a mom holding her infant, you know, sometimes you might do a digital digital zoom. Maybe a client doesn't have the right video footage for me to use. And so he'll send me a picture of a mother and their and their baby. And I'm like, OK, well, do we want to zoom in or zoom out? Well, we want to zoom in, you know, if it's especially towards the beginning of the of, of the video to emphasize this is a good thing we're this is becoming more important the hitchcock rule is what i think of in those kind of instances which, which is the hitchcock rule says that anything that's large in frame is more important than anything else hmm. so if something is getting larger in frame you're adding significance and importance to it and so i think about those things when i'm editing silly little toddler cage videos <laughs> and then <laughs> maybe at the end uh it's a zoom out to give you to make the product feel larger <laughs> it's a really big cage and so if you start a little zoomed in and you start you know uh, zooming out then suddenly it adds a level of uh, grandness to it that mm-hmm. you know you're leaving on a final note and we're going away now this video is ending and it adds finality so i think about all these things and why the symbolism behind it and how it can help or hurt the product and why i should or should not do a certain thing for sure awesome anyway <laughs> That was a I quality. I want to see that video. By the way. <laughs> toddler cages. Has, toddler cages by Hasbro. <laughs> Your toddler cannot get away. <laughs> uh, we could use that for both of our children because the first time both of them rolled over, they fell off our bed. No. Both of them. <laughs> the very first time, Simon, we ended up taking to the hospital because we were so scared. He was our first kid, and he rolled over, and he fell, you know, two feet to the ground. And we, we were in the bathroom, and we just heard a boom. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Guys, okay, if anybody hears, we, he's fine, okay? You're he's a bad parent. totally fine. If he had had his and cage. Then, <laughs> well, then if he would had his cage, we wouldn't have fallen over. Or at least Charlotte wouldn't have fallen over. Uh, yeah, she did. We didn't. You know, she's second kid, so she bounced for me twice. Shame on you. Yeah, um, or something. And so, something like yeah, what that. are we doing today, man? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. Yeah, we're going to be covering Collateral today. Um, so, if you have not seen that movie, pause the episode, go watch it because uh, there will be spoilers galore. Awesome. Yeah, we're going to talk about a lot of things. We'll talk about story, mostly uh, emotionally investing in characters and challenging the characters. And we'll also talk about cinematography, film and digital and other such things and stuff and things and stuff. And uh, so here's a synopsis of the film. A cab driver finds himself the hostage of an engaging contract killer as he makes his rounds from hit to hit during one night in Los Angeles, directed by Michael Mann, written by Stuart Beatty, cinematography by... Dion Beebe and Paul Cameron featuring Tom Cruise as Vincent, Jamie Foxx as Max, Jada Pinkett Smith as Annie and Mark Ruffalo as Fanning. I think you're low, my brother, way low. Like what were you, one of those institutionalized raised guys? Anybody home? And standard and the standard parts that are supposed to be there and people in you aren't. Why did you kill me? Well, the cabbie's not there. I get back. Sigmund Freud meets Dr. Ruth. Answer the question. Look in the mirror. Paper towels, a clean cab. The boat company someday. How much?
watch you get saved. I didn't have business. Someday, someday my dream will come. One night you'll wake up and you'll discover it never happened. It's all turned around on you. It never will. Suddenly you are old. It didn't happen. It never will because you were never going to do it anyway. You're pushing in a memory that zone out in your barco lounger, being hypnotized by daytime TV for the rest of your life. So don't you talk to me about murder. All it ever took was a down payment on a Lincoln Town car. And that girl, you can't even call that girl. What the fuck are you still doing driving a cab? Yes. So, what did you think? Collateral hit or miss? Hit. Yeah. I loved it, man. Yeah. I mean, I I love Tom Cruise's bad guy. Yeah. Same. I think I think he should play more bad guys. Agreed. I mean, not like he needs any help with his career, right. <laughs> but he he's a man. He's a mean bad guy. I remember when this first came out, I was excited to see it because he was a bad guy, um, and I was like, how is that gonna? How's that going to come off? Oh, interesting. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. I felt, you know, pretty invested. I mean, you know, I, it wasn't like the greatest thing ever, but I would definitely watch it again too. Like the performance is really good. Jamie Foxx is fantastic in it. I, Mark Ruffalo, I was like, oh, I totally forgot he was in this movie. Same. Um, and when I saw him, because he had facial hair, he had like a goatee. I, I thought, what? Is that the Hulk? What the heck? Oh my gosh, I forgot he was in it. And then, spoiler, him dying too. Yeah. I was, oh, I f- totally forgot that. So it had been, because it had been a while since I've seen this movie. So it was almost like watching it for the first time. Um, but there, you know, I really liked the editing. I liked the, the, the story in general. I liked the, I liked the kind of growth of Jamie Foxx's character, of Max, from this guy who, you know, yeah. Cause, cause Vincent has a real good point. You are never going to do this. You are never going to, to start this company. You're always going to be driving a car. You know, you don't drive a cab for 12 years because it's your backup plan. Like that's what it is. So he calls him out on it, but like through the whole movie, you see him go, you know, you see it in him at the very beginning. At the beginning, he's a, he's very meticulous, right? He had, he's very driven, pun intended, I guess, but he's very, he's very driven to be the best, right? And to have the cleanest cab and, you know, like to just have his stuff together. So you see what he could have, like what he could be. He could, you know, start that company. He could call that girl. He could do all of those things, but he just doesn't. And so Vincent pulls it out of him basically the whole time. I mean, he, he gets a little nudge by, by meeting fan or, uh, Annie, mm-hmm. right. He gets a little bit, little nudge. Cause you know, he's sweet talks her like he is, he's really, but he's not trying to, he's, he's not trying to hit on her. He's, but he's just, you know, basically caring for another human being, but that also pulls a little bit out of him to just have a little bit more self-assurance and be able to act on that, not to just have it, but to be able to act on it, you know? So anyway, yeah. Dude. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Like I, when I saw this in theaters, I saw it like two or three times, honestly. Oh wow. I was in theater. Yeah. In theater. Cool. And this was way back. I was actually in college station at the time. Um, and yeah, I mean, I loved it. I love Michael Mann. I was, I've been a big fan of his for a while and reading about this, I was really intrigued because the initial setup was, you know, it all takes place in one night. And I was like, ah, oh, I like seeing things kind of develop over long periods of time. So mm. I was on the fence about how a one night kind of movie would go. It makes me think of movie, old films like D- Judgment Day um, and some of these older ones or Judgment Night. And yeah. And so seeing this, I just was like, wow, this is really good. And the theater's completely empty. Like, what the hell? So I just started grabbing people. <laughs> I was like, hey, uh, you want to go to a movie? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, we should go watch this thing. I'm like, oh, okay. Whoa, that was really good. That kind of took me by surprise. I know, right? <laughs> this is my 11th time seeing it. No, not that bad. <laughs> but yeah, and I loved, uh, 
the the style was such a change of pace for Michael Mann and kind of the industry was started shifting over with, you know, he shot on both digital and film, which was a little bit odd for its time. And at the time, I thought it was like one of the first actual digital cameras. Uh, but Attack of the Clones came out like a couple of years before this, and that was shot on, on digital cameras. And not DV tapes like 20 days later, but actual digital cameras. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I mean, I, I love it. I love, like you said, Tom Cruise being a bad guy, and, and he's doing... And the behind the scenes are really cool. Like they show him because Michael Mann's a really intense director and he had Tom Cruise dress up as like a FedEx man and run packages around the city for a day or two just to prove that you need to be able to blend in and be like anybody. And so go do that. Like go see what it feels like to just be not someone standing out. Are you kidding? Yeah. Wow. So they shot some BTS of it and it's on the DVD of him in a FedEx outfit. (laughs) Yeah. Or whatever UPS, something like that. And, um, he's like having lunch and talked to some random guy and they're just kind of doesn't recognize him. Doesn't know who he is. And yeah. (laughs) And so I love that. You put that in the show notes. So I can see it. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And so seeing him kind of play this, He's a middle-aged guy with gray hair and a gray suit, uh, five o'clock shadow. Like it's all completely nondescript. Like a hundred people in a block, you know, would fit that description, uh, especially downtown LA. And so, kind of building that world around, like let's figure out who these people are and uh, start expressing them out of that fact. A hitman wouldn't want to dress in all leather and sunglasses, and like that's. That makes the logic for one type of movie, but here I like kind of the realism of no, he's just another guy on the street, right? But he did have sunglasses in the beginning. In the beginning, at night, and I was like, "Come on, (laughs) you're indoors at night. Take off your sunglasses. (laughs) Come on, man." But he hadn't killed anybody yet. No, that's true. Yeah, big fan of Jamie Foxx in this. This was really against his type at this point, and I don't because he was come out of being a comedian. And I don't know mm. if he had already done, he might've just come off of Ray. Um, you, oh, okay. And then, you know, this comes out and it's like, oh, wow. Like that's range. That's such good range. Yeah, man. So I love seeing him play, you know, against type and mm-hmm. just explore. And he's this kind of meek guy who yeah. can't stand up for himself. Uh, but they do a really good job of kind of fleshing him out and putting uh, meat on his bones, so to speak. And yeah, that's a good way to put it because he never becomes a badass. Mm-mm. Like, yes, he wins in the end, but he's, I mean, he does a few badass things like, you know, wrestles the cop and cuffs him and, uh, you know, shoots out the window, which is, I loved that little moment where he tries to break the window with the garbage can and <laughs> doesn't break. It like, oh. <laughs> it's just like a, a tiny little break in the, uh, in the stress yeah. for the audience. Just, just tiny because it also is like, like give an homage to him being a comedian, Oh yeah, you know, like, no, this guy can be funny, you know? And he's just like this small guy. Um, but he, he never becomes like a true badass, which is, you know, very easy you know, kind of a cop out to do for a character like that, to just make them all of a sudden they're a badass. Where in reality you are fucking terrified that, you know, somebody's coming after you with a gun and wants to kill you, you know, like that's terrifying. Um, whether you're used to it or not, it's just how you handle it. And they do a great job of melding those two things, right? You have, he gets a reason through her. Sure. Yeah. And then even when he's doing that, that last scene, he closes his eyes and fires. And so you never buy into, oh, yeah, this guy's just uh, like kicking ass now. He's like, no, he's just doing the bare minimum that he can without pooing all over himself. Yeah. yeah. You know, and which I love that whole scene. We'll get into that later. But yeah, I'm a huge fan of this. And this was kind of one of the last, to me, great Michael Mann movies. I haven't seen him make a great one. Uh, I love Miami Vice personally, um, but yeah, he did Heat, The Inside Man, then this, and mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. Uh, Miami Vice, and then after that, he did Public Enemies, which was not fantastic. I had a lot I of didn't issues. See it. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, uh, Black Hat, which I somewhat enjoyed. And he just what I love about Michael Mann though is he's not beholden to anybody else's style. He's like he wants to explore 
realism and characters in really difficult situations and situations they don't like um, yeah. and see how they come to the to the call you know of duty of action of uh, the response and how witty and uh, clever they are were they really driving that's a good question it felt like it uh, yeah i mean whether they're on the back of uh, a truck or not i'm not entirely sure well i guess it uh, yeah i mean I guess, you know, because a lot of times they just get away with doing green screen outside, but it really felt like that was the actual downtown and they were, whether they were attached to a truck or not, it doesn't matter, but that yeah. they were actually moving this vehicle and that the per, the cameraman was holding the camera, you know, because it was never like, you know, stuck to the dash or stuck outside yeah. the car or something. It was always handheld, you know, the whole time pretty much. And I loved, oh my gosh, I love the, uh, the right after that clip that we play at we played at the intro he wrecks the car right he flips the car and but he's giving this monologue as he's he's like you know what vincent you're full of crap and blah 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 and the shots where he's delivering his lines some of them they're hitting these bumps and he's just going way out of focus and uh, it's just like hectic as hell and it's perfect i mean yeah i'm glad they kept it but i can see another filmmaker like fincher would never in a million years go for something like that he likes precision and this is so much more emotional and using the the car movements makes it makes everything you know hyper realistic like you you don't know. It feels like there are in a car, and that that car flip is incredible. Like, yeah, they let that thing have it. Yeah, man, it's amazing. And they just stay attached to the physicality of that car and really let it kind of sell the city and the and the fact that this is all happening and this is two guys completely isolated from the world, um, which you know it seems to be a recurring theme in the film too. This whole idea of disconnect and a city full of individuals instead of full of you know people. Did you feel in the in the car flip scene, and I love it, but did you feel a, a 180 brake rule? Oh, for sure they, yeah. Because like, okay, so the car is, is on the left side of the screen, mm-hmm. hits the barrier, flips, moves to the center of the screen, then moves kind of to the right of the screen, and then it flips over and the car is on the left side of the screen. Yeah, So because initially we're seeing it from his point of view as a driver, and then we eventually flip to the other side of the the view as it's coming, coming onto us. towards us. Yeah, yeah. And but then, but then, well, I mean, after it comes to a stop, like as it's coming to a stop, mm. upside down. Yeah. Then it flips to facing the other direction. Oh, probably. That's I was, the moment where I was like, it just kind of, you know, I just kind of like woke up yeah, for a second. I mean, I think you're right. Uh, I don't know if they attended that or if they even cared or you know whatever, but it did make me feel. Like a little off center, which I guess is probably a good True. thing. Yeah. You're upside down in a car after it's just flipped four times. And I mean, the and it's important too because their dynamic has shifted. Yeah. And so yeah. now they're disoriented too. Um Max doesn't know, am I about to die now? Is yeah. he done with me? Or uh, and I'm sure Vincent doesn't know. So their whole chemistry and dynamic is just taking a radical shift. And so I'm sure you're yeah. right. I'm sure it's in there and it's probably very intentional to <laughs> Vincent hitting him. What was I he hitting love him with? That. I love that. He it's found like, some broken like rebar in the yeah. car or something. <laughs> He's, He's like hitting like, him with it. It's like, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's anyway. so good. Anyway, we, yeah, we are off, off track. And Keep so, going. yeah, uh, let me touch on a few things. I'll go through cinematography real quick because I have very few notes on this. Yeah. Um, the it's really high contrast like which really helps sell the the serious textures and the dramatic nature of what we're seeing is adding all this contrast in uh makes it feel like a much more gripping and serious world you don't see a lot of high contrast in comedies that's usually a little bit lower i'm not saying they don't exist but it's usually a little bit lower and contrast by the way is obviously just the range between the whites and the blacks the shadows and the highlights uh the less range there is the more contrast that you're getting and so i love that there's such a really huge mix of angles and lenses throughout this mac michael mann is just kind of pulling out everything depending on what the shot needs and it feels like he's less concerned about one specific look and more concerned about one specific moment like oh here i'm going to break out a really long lens and shoot these characters from across the room and suddenly a room feels much, I don't know, tighter. And whereas he'll use these wide angles for close-ups, he loves pulling out the wide angle lens on a close-up. 
throughout the entire film he's doing it right we're constantly in people's thoughts and feelings and whenever you're that close on a wide angle all their features are a little more a bit more uh, dramatized and uh, you're also just that much more connected to what they're doing and what they're feeling and you start reading into their thoughts and a look suddenly carries so much more significance a pause feels like an eternity um, and I think it also kind of cements that this is a drama with action not an action with drama all the action is there to kind of uh, highlight the drama that's happening uh, below the surface uh, there's also just a lot of greens and yellows and it feels uh, for the most part very sickly it feels um, like the city itself is almost ill and maybe Vincent is a virus that enters because uh, everything up to his entrance felt pretty good and then suddenly it kind of takes on this uh, sicker hue uh, maybe and maybe I'm over reading things but it the realism, the visual style just kind of keeps going back to this hyper realism. And this is such an interesting mix of film and digital. You don't see this very much, hardly at all. There's very few films that'll mix in film and digital, like side by side at times. It's insane. And the digital, a lot, he did a lot of uh, 360 degree shutters. So if you sometimes look and notice that there's a, uh, a little bit more motion blur, a little bit more of a ghosting effect in some of these shots. That's because he left a shutter wide open on the digital camera. And he did that just because of exposure reasons uh, is what I was reading. I had to look that up. I was like, why is he doing this? And it's because he was trying to get the background of the city into all of his shots. And so he's exposing first for the city and then lighting his subjects. And so it's kind of a delicate balance of let me make sure I can see the bokeh of all the city lights and the color of the city and also want to light as uh, much as possible using practicals. All the lights that you see in the scenes are lighting the scene as in instead of we're going to motivate the we're going to use these lamps in the scene, but they're not really going to be creating any light for the scene like they're not going to light the actors. We're going to have off camera another nice softbox that's lighting everybody up. He's like, no. For the most part, and I'm sure you shape it, you still don't just leave everything to chance, but you start with all these practicals that are lighting the scenes and then you can shape just a tiny bit. Let me take some light away here and let me bounce, uh, fill in a little bit lighter here, all that kind of stuff. And so doing that meant he needed as much exposure and digital cameras had a long way to go at this point. The red wasn't out. This was shot on, I already forgot the name of it, some random camera that Fincher would later use on not Scorpio, whatever the Zodiac. Um, and so in order just to get that little bit more exposure, like whatever, a stop or a half stop, uh, he opened up the shutter all the way. And the result of that is it also created this kind of weird ghosty effect in some of the shots, but shooting digital also allowed him to get that really cool coyote shot or wolf shot, whatever those dogs in the, the road were. That was just completely on the spur. Uh, he just caught them and, shot him, started it. Uh, it's the way I've understood it to be. And really, it was just random. Yeah. I was wondering what that meant. So looking whenever I see that mm -hmm. shot, I'm thinking that totally makes sense. You have these, uh, two coyotes that are kind of together and kind of alone. And I'm watching Vincent look at these things and it's like, yeah, He's he's a wolf in a city, and he's completely and utterly alone in life. He has nobody. And so it's just this idea of isolation. And yeah. you might be a badass, but what do you really have? Mm -hmm. um, Interesting. Yeah, so pretty cool that he, he would start, you know, with... That's cool. Let's figure out how to use all these tools at my disposal, and it works. Like, I know the digital look can be really off-putting, but in the hands of someone who knows what they're doing... You can make anything work and look beautiful and yeah. uh, have a style and it can be very, not just visually appealing, but can really help tell the story in uh, interesting ways. It gave it a new texture that I hadn't experienced before. One of the things that certainly mm -hmm. kept me back. But diving into the story, this is my favorite stuff. So they set it up pretty easily after several fairs. Annie gets into his cab and after she gets in, the sun sets. And I think symbolically... Uh, the safety of light is gone. So our, our day begins, the danger is beginning because she is a target. She isn't safe and introducing her is a good time to remove the safety of the sun. And so it's, I think it's just very subtle thing of 
everything is now shifting to the darker side of this film. And they get us to emotionally invest very easily. Uh, and they do it through them. Their love connection, you know, their, their attraction vibe makes us care about them and what happens to them. You know, they just throw on a good soundtrack and they, the characters make a friendly bet and we hear about his dreams to start a limo company. And then we see his observations about her. And now suddenly he's a guy with ambition. He has a future and he's sharp. He's not some dumb driver uh, because all the details he pointed out to figure out that she was a uh, lawyer was really cool. And it was, you know, very Sherlockian. And I love that. He was like, you know, I've, a guy gets in with a sword. I figure he's a sushi chef. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> such a good, good line. Um, but making us emotionally invested in the character is really hard because why should we care if they're in danger? And that's why it's so important because if they're going to get in danger, you're not going to get any tension out of us if we don't understand what the danger is and what the stakes are, what the stakes are. We care about this guy. We want him to live because we like him. And these are all ways to get us to like him and to invest in us. Tell us who they are, not what they do. But what they care about, that they have love, they have depth, a reason to exist and to keep existing. Tell us about their future plans and make them specific and unique to the character. And it can be something simple. I watched a movie not, not too long ago where character was on screen for maybe two minutes and then they kill her. And it's so devastating. And they didn't do much. They, they made her talk about uh, the character is like, hey, is your cousin still a hair, hairdresser? Like, I'd love... I'm thinking this weekend I'm going to go chop off my hair. I want to cut it in half. You think I'd look cute like that? And it's the simple conversation. Then, you know, she dies. You're just devastated because you were building a bond with this character through her eyes and through her hopes and her dreams and giving characters hopes and dreams and specific and minute. It could be someone saying like, ah, oh man, I'm ready to go to the gym and finally lose this last 10 pounds kind of stuff. Like that makes you really... Uh, identify with them in so many ways. And when we can start to see ourselves in these characters through these things, that makes you care about what happens to them. And then her, like Annie, talking about prepping her opening statements uh, oh, really yeah. makes us care about her and her mission. Like what she's doing is important. Mm -hmm. It's important to her and we like her. So we care about the mission. And she was 100% honest with Max telling, telling him, I feel like a fraud, you know, like being... Who well, doesn't like, identify exactly that. what we just talked about we, <laughs> we, at the beginning of this? I feel like a fraud all the time. Yeah, I love yeah. you, Annie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We identify with that. So quickly. And I love, they don't, they just kind of keep building through this whole cab ride and it ends. He gives her his vacation postcard. And it's so endearing because yeah. we've watched him throughout the opening scenes, refer to it like there's a couple bickering in his back, back seat and he flips it down and he looks at it and flips it back up. And it's so endearing for him to do that. And we just love him to pieces and we want them now to be together, uh, which helps us extend because we don't spend as much time with her, but it really firmly implants her memory in our, in our head. And then of course her giving him the, uh, the business card finalizes their vibe while also conveniently giving him a tool later in act three. Mm -hmm. It's the perfect setup because mm -hmm. now it feels like chemistry instead of, yeah. uh, Oh, here's just this kind of tool we're setting up for later. Like we're, we're loading a gun, um, in, in a manner of speaking. But in some movies, the tool would be okay. In the end he's gotten away. So now he's finally just going to call the girl. Right. But this was different. This was, be she gave it to him and he's using it to save her life. That's like so, yes, so much more weight to that card. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And the way they do it, like you said, instead of using that cheap way, it doesn't feel wrong. It doesn't feel like, oh, how convenient he has her number because there was all this chemistry that was happening. Yeah. And now you never feel you never feel, I don't know, set up. It just feels like this natural extension of the scene and of the movie. Of course he has her card, you know? And so they do these things all the time that doesn't feel cheap and it's hard to pull off. Um, like at the end, him winning the gun battle doesn't feel cheap for whatever reason. He's going up against an expert assassin that we've seen be nails throughout the entire film. But maybe he got one shot off on his neck earlier. And now, you know, this guy is just a little step slower. And we don't know. We, but we're happy to fill in those blanks because we so badly want him to live. Yeah. <laughs> we just go with it. Yeah. But all of this, all this setup is really great opposition for when we meet our villain. And it's reasons we root for Max and not Vincent. 
And so I love that they challenge the characters in every character. They're constantly challenging Vincent and Max. Like the body falls on the car. This is a challenge for both characters. This isn't just, oh, this sucks for Max. But now Vincent's job is just a little bit harder. Now he has to get this guy to stick around so that obviously at the end of the day, he was going to kill him and blame it all on him. And so it was important to have him this entire time. But the body falls in the car and it makes it worse for everybody. Max now knows what he's in for. This complicates things uh, for him. And it's fun to see how Vincent responds to challenges. You know, whenever Max gets tied up and suddenly he has all these, you know, idiots trying to rob him. Well, that's now a new challenge for Vincent. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're constantly pushing back and forth. It's not lopsided. It's not the villain just keeps throwing uh, barbed wire in front of the hero. It's like, no, no, no. We're both kind of screwing with each other and we're both got to be smart and better than the other. And it's a really good cat and mouse game. Um, But it also means that every movement is now tense. Is Max going to run? Is he going to yell for help? Like going to the hospital isn't just suddenly they're in the mom's room. We watch them get into the elevator. We watch a cop get in next to them. We watch them walk down the hall. We watch them in the room with the mom. Everything feels ripe with at any moment. Max Max could try something um, or something could go wrong. And suddenly Vincent's like killing everybody mm-hmm. <laughs> like this the scene with the with the cop right the the cab being damaged oh, man. because of the body falling on it is another great test of wills between the two characters uh because now they got to bring in the police and there's so much tension there because you're you're like tell the cops tell the cops if that trunk goes up <laughs> opens up more bodies go in don't tell the cops don't tell the cops yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you just you don't know what you want out of a scene and how it can possibly result in anything good happening um there's just so many great dynamics that are firing off because of we're throwing these characters challenges mm-hmm. we're making them work and we're watching how clever they are in response to all this it's beautiful it's awesome i also love that they kill fanning like that's a heartbreaking moment. Oh yeah. Right. Definitely. Cause you're like, yes, yes, this guy gets it. He's on the, he's on the right track. We have a hero. We have someone that can come to Max's aid and then they take it away. The cavalry isn't coming for Max. He has to finally take action for the first time in his life. And it's not that he hasn't been without action in the film. Obviously the impetus was Vincent getting in his car. And now suddenly he's become a, a man who's, trying his hardest to get out of this. Um, and he's just doing a very terrible job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like he throws all his documents over the, oh, to the God. highway. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> <Dude>. <laughs> and it puts him in a whole other situation. And I love that, you know, in that situation, he uses that same attention to detail to figure out how can I get what I need out of the scene to stay alive. Mm-hmm. The stakes are ripe. The entire film It's beautiful. And lastly, I love that Vincent knows tactics. He's an assassin. Um, he's a hitman. He knows how to think. And it's funny because he was just accused by Max of, you couldn't tell what someone else next to you was thinking. And to a large degree, emotionally speaking, he's right. But tactically, He's dead ass wrong because the moment him and uh, Annie flee from Vincent, suddenly Vincent knows what they're doing. He's like, no, they're not going to go to the street. He doesn't have a car. They need transportation. He's going to the the train. The subway. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go to the sub. And now he's, he just waits and waits and waits. He's like, he had a good beat on me. Where would he go? He would go to the most, uh, the hardest place for me to get to, which would be across this track. I don't have time to go and watch him escape and let him get away. So he jumps the track. And then on top of that, he starts at the back of the train. Now he can sweep the entire car so mm-hmm. that he's flushing them towards the front. Like all his tactics are right on point. Unfortunately, you know, he's lost a step in blood. Yeah. And uh, Max gets the better of him. But I think more convincing than that is he didn't want to kill Max. I think oh, yeah. I think in yeah. his heart he really just didn't want to kill Max, and he didn't want to die himself, of course. But yeah. he didn't think Max had a shot in hell at getting him. Yeah, and I love, love, love that reveal of Vincent's wound. The lights mm-hmm. go off, gunfire, 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 and then uh, Max has a stumble. He he's just expecting that he got hit. Yeah, um, and then we see. Vincent slowly reloading his gun and then he drops the clip and we see the close of the clip hitting the floor and we go back to a medium shot 
And just under his jacket, just a little bit, you can see Season the red. Blood. Yeah. Just kind of starting to see through the shirt. And it's just this, they don't overdo it. They don't overplay it. It's yeah. very restrained and letting you explore the scene as the characters are discovering what happened. Mm-hmm. And it's freaking perfect, man. And then when they leave the train and it's just a solo shot of, of him with his head down, you still see the clip on the floor. Yeah. It's, it's like... Oh man, it's so good. The detail, the detail, yeah. Oh. And in a lot of other films, they, that wouldn't be there. Yeah, but it's still there. Totally true. Yeah, it's so good. And so, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much all I got. Um, that was a lot. It was. It was surprising. I started watching this a couple months ago before the hiatus, mm-hmm. and I was getting nothing. I was like, really? Oh, fuck. And so Dude. I stopped it about halfway through, and went went away for a couple months. Came back, and then suddenly I was like, oh yeah. Duh, duh. It was just yeah. jumping out at me. And I learned, for me, I learned a lot. Like, there's a lot for me I'll probably take into my work from this, from a story writing perspective. The one thing that I was surprised that you didn't bring up in the cinematography, um, like pretty much the only thing that I had, was where the camera was in the car. Uh, sometimes it would shoot the Singles. person in the back yeah. um, through the glass. Yeah. And other times it was in the back seat with the the person. And for me, it just felt like, like when Vincent was, was like saying all like the heavy stuff to, to Max, it was back there with him. It was like, there's nothing in between. Like we are, we are, we're connecting, connecting with it. But there, there were so many other times where like it would be focused on Vincent, but he would be pretty much like 80% behind the glass. Yeah. So like you'd see like, you know, his ear or something that's in focus but the glass itself is not in focus. That's such a good point because it's about his vulnerability. Yeah. And yeah. how honest he's being with himself even. Right. Not just with Max, but totally. you know, how, how much am I really going to come clean about who I am and what I do and why I do it. And yeah, the glass is like making him out of focus. Yeah. Right. And then, and it was really hard on my eyes to like see that because it was so, they were like, you know, I w- I found myself mentally trying to look around the glass to see more of him in focus because he was just out of focus the whole time he's talking he's delivering a line but i cannot see his mouth or his eyes in focus because they're because of the glass is great that's fantastic i'm adding that to my notes because that's that's perfect great great work man yeah yeah um so what would you give it then oh man for me yeah this is a 10 for me. Ooh. Yeah. Whoa. That's surprising because it's not like this shocking movie, but I connect so well to these characters and I'm, yeah. I'm rooting for everybody kind of even Vincent. I'm like, sure. I want sure. more for him. And yeah, I love everything about it. I love the, I do love the casting of Tom Cruise for this because you cannot help, but like want him to win. Cause he wins at everything, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> everything he's ever done. There's this thing where you're just like, well, he's the bad guy, so I kind of don't want him to kill yeah. Max, but at the same time, I really don't want him to die. You yeah. know, like, oh, bringing it back, you know, the story he told about the guy dying on the train and, yeah. you know, like, bringing it back to that at the end where he is actually dying on the train. Like, it's just so good tying it in. Wow, a 10. That's really great. Yeah, I don't expect yeah. anybody else to be like, this is a 10. This is just... It no, that no, it's good. Pushes all of the right things for me. Yeah, for sure. No, it's great. Uh, I would give it a solid nine. Nice, solid nine. That's really, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I think there were probably some things that, not that I could do better, but that you know took me out of it a little bit. But the, it it was that's the weird thing is is that it wasn't like in a bad way. Like I never felt disconnected from anything. So, but yeah, I, solid nine. It feels really good to me. Badass. Yeah. Nice. Um, what are you going to recommend this week? Okay, so I went, I yeah, I went back and forth between if I w- if I sh- wanted to recommend this, but I'm going to. Um, it's not the best movie in the world. It's not my favorite movie from this actor. Uh, can you guess it? You were usually on our. It's not the best. Okay, movie so it's in not the world. it's not the best movie in the world. It's definitely not his best movie, but we love a lot of his movies. We love him. But just the way that it was made was very intriguing to me. Ooh. Ooh. You're going to get it. You're going to get it. You're going to get it. Come on, Wes. Steward of Life Live Backwards? No. No. But that actor. Tom Hardy. Yes. I was right about that. <laughs> yes. 
Hey, I'll, I'll give it to you. Cool. I'll totally give it to you. Uh, so, um, this is one this, I never used to go to movies by myself. Uh, and this was like, I think one of the first movies I ever went to see by myself. Uh, so, uh, anyway, whatever I'm going to oh, recommend lock. Dang it. I'm going to recommend yeah. lock L O C K E. Um, uh, Tom Hardy is in it came out in 2013, which is crazy. Six years ago. Now it's not the best film, but I will say the way that it, they filmed it was really cool because they filmed it like a play. Yeah. They had all the cameras rolling and they went through it like the whole thing, times. like three times. The whole thing. So Tom, and it's just Tom Hardy. Like yeah. he's the only one in the movie. So he had to memorize the entire movie and run through it. And they had to time the phone calls to, to be right. And like all this stuff. Just, so just the, the, the detail that had to go into the production of, wow. of doing that was like really interesting. So when you watch this movie and it's on Netflix, it's streaming. When you watch this movie, keep that in mind while you're watching it. So it might not be the best executed like perfectly you know and and they didn't take one take for the whole movie they took you know like a take from this one a take from that one or whatever but um when you watch it keep that in mind and um and just you know with tom's performance too it's like everything yeah it's just he's so brilliant he's good yeah 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 nice i am gonna recommend uh our friend Alyssa marie's patreon actually uh she's an artist and if you enjoy art and you want to support uh, cheater i artist. love her too <laughs> uh Just well kidding. i was really humbled she actually linked us back a, a while back to all her patreon followers oh cool and whenever i was coming up with some of the show notes i would, it'll make sense here in a second but uh, i was just reminded like oh yeah i i would love to give her a shout out and so if you're looking for an artist to support um i'll link to her patreon in the show notes go check her out and maybe just follow her on instagram if you want to see some really cool art uh she makes all kinds of fun and interesting things some of them are funny and some of them are thought-provoking it's a really good range and i think it's one of those things where i get frustrated with the amount of talented people that i know who deserve an audience oh yeah you know and so i try as much as possible to push that out into the world you know very cool. And so for this week's short spotlight, there's a stop motion. It's called Tree Old Lady. Um, it's on Vimeo. I discovered it. It had literally one view when I watched it. Oh, cool. <laughs> and I watched it. So nobody's seen it then. Literally. Yeah. Except the filmmaker. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so, but I, I loved it. I adored it. It's it's not like this highbrow thing. It's very basic. Um, and it's kind of got these hokey uh, effects in it Uh, but it's really cute and i think it it has you know some very simple uh storytelling dynamics in there but more than anything it reminded me of one of my very first short films that i made was with Alyssa, and we made this stop motion uh, yeah the dogfish head head. um it was a brewery and it was this guy who uh, was a we called it i think uh brouhaha this uh, yeah. we wanted to call it writer's block because it was about a writer who gets writer's block um and yeah he uses the the beer to kind of get his juices flowing again and so it was so much fun Alyssa wrote and directed it and i was really happy to produce and do and help with photography but she made all these incredible uh art designs and uh the miniatures and uh, the set was really cool Making a stop motion is hard. It's a lot of work. Um, And so whenever I ran across this little video, it reminded me of all those things that we created way back a long time ago. And I wanted to, I don't know, share it. It's awesome. Make you smile. I'm going to go watch it then. Very cool. So what are we going to cover next week? Super excited. We're going to start a uh, descent into darkness since it's October now. We're going to do Danny Boyle's 28 Days Later, yes. and yes. we'll do several more dark ones, but not necessarily dark in the way that you might anticipate. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. going to be a bunch of hereditary and alien kind of things. Um, Which, can I say something really fast? Yeah. Just because we're talking about dark things. Yeah. I have to say it. Hereditary <laughs> is my favorite horror film nice. I've ever seen. It's it's just, there's this thing about it now. And now when people, I've talked about it with several people and every time I talk about it, I find myself saying things like, I will never watch it again, <laughs> but it was incredible. Yeah. And, and it stuck with me. 
months after I saw it. It's like, it will not leave me alone. Uh, so anyway, I just wanted to say that. So whoever, rec- somebody recommended that, right? Yeah, Multiple yeah. times. Uh-huh. Yeah. Whoever did that, F you and thanks a lot. And I mean it. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. don't forget to subscribe, review us on iTunes if you have not done so before. And if you want to leave a note and talk about the things you like, or if you want to comment on this episode in particular, then you can do that at the pestlepodcast.com slash collateral. And we'll leave you with a quote of the day by Ralph Waldo Emerson. Don't be too timid and squeamish about your actions. All life is an experiment. The more experiments you make, the better. Beautiful. I like yeah. it. I mean, that's felt like a big message that we were trying to glean off of Max's life, right? Yeah, right. He had yeah. all these big dreams and wasn't wasn't really trying. Yeah, you know... I was actually thinking about this today while I was mowing my yard. I was thinking my wife and I have entertained the idea of like moving away, just like selling everything Uh, and like living in a tiny house in the middle, you know, in Switzerland or something like that. Um, and I was thinking, okay, well, why don't we just do that? We totally could. And then it was like, okay, and I'm thinking about all this while I'm mowing, but I was, I was thinking, okay, well, why don't I do that? Uh, I probably don't, do that because, well, it's not because I'm afraid to do it. I'm not afraid to do it. You know, I'm not afraid to do pretty much anything. Yep. It's because I'm afraid that it's not the right choice for my family. It's not the right, I'm afraid that it'll be the wrong thing for my children. Not, not that it is, mm-hmm. it might not be, it might be a better choice, but the, the thing that's holding me up from doing something like that is not, can I, of course I can. And I know that I can, I could do that tomorrow. In fact, if, if my wife walked down the stairs right now and said, I really want to move to Colorado or I really want to move to wherever to Italy, I'd be like, all right, let's put the house in the market tomorrow. Like I am not held to this and I don't feel held to it. I never have. It's because my actions now have repercussions on another human being. That's different from Max, at least from what we see. We Mm -hmm. don't see that he has a family. I mean, he has a mom, right? right? But it's not like it's, you know, starting this business would take him away from her, you know? So it's a, it's a very different thing. I get that. But, you know, I was trying to put it in perspective of my life. I was thinking about the movie and trying to put it in perspective of my life and, you know, what's stopping me from doing whatever. And granted, that is something that's different than a quit your job and go do this other thing that you've been wanting to do forever. Um, Because yes, I could do that, but would it be the smart thing to do to take all my savings and throw it in this idea that might fail? I mean, I don't know. That's the thing. It's It's not even that it would fail. It's that I would be taking something away from my children or like putting them in a position that would be make their life harder or something like that, which I know is still not the best reason. But anyway, that's my soapbox. But yes, don't be too timid or squeamish. This is all an experiment. This is all we get. Go for it. It, Man, that makes it makes it feel really makes everything feel a lot more fluid. Like like every uh, yes, there are people that are more successful quote unquote or better off or have you know you know are doing what you want to do yeah um and maybe we're not yet but you just got to try stuff you You just got to do stuff like i have i had a friend the other day that i work with and i ride bikes with him he had asked we were talking about music and i was like oh you know you should hear my record whatever he's like you're a musician he didn't even know that i was a musician i was like yeah incredible so i sent him i sent him my record and he was like, dude, this is really good. <laughs> yep. I had no idea you did any of this or whatever. And then he came by my desk the other day and he saw the short that I had written. I just had it out like on my desk and I wasn't even at my desk. And he sent me a thing and he's like, he, and I'm not bragging and this is not even a humble brag. This is just like, I'm trying to get this apart across. He said, he said, why are you so damn talented? And I was like, dude, I'm not talented. I just do things. And that's, really it right you just got to keep doing things you just got to keep like like experimenting learning new things like i'm so proud of you 
I, I feel like out of all of my friends, out of anybody that I know, really, including Jet, who my buddy Jet, who's like this brilliant dude who is an incredible architect and artist and designer, and um, he's very learned and he's a very smart man. Him and and Byron, who's also a small smart guy, I feel like you are you stand out as somebody who like just does things, like oh I'm gonna read a hundred books this year, or oh I'm going to lose forty pounds, <laughs> you know, and then put forty pounds of muscle on. Oh, uh, I'm gonna learn every capital of every country <laughs> in the world, uh, uh, you know, like. I remember the first time you told me you were going to get a camera. Oh, yeah. And I was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. I questioned you. <laughs> why? <laughs> well, you know, I didn't I didn't know that you had this thing, you know, that you this this desire. I didn't um, at the time. Well, they, you just did yeah. did things and then it something came to light. And then, um, yeah, I guess this quote is speaking to me a little bit oh. more than than I thought it would when I because I and it's funny I read it like four times <laughs> and I still misread it when I said it out loud. Um, High praise, thank you, man, and I completely yeah. agree with everything you're saying. Like, I have zero doubt in my mind that you would literally move to Switzerland in a moment's notice. There is no part of you that is. <laughs> it'd be Goodwill Hunting. You'd come knock on our door to do the next episode, and yeah. I wouldn't be here, and you'd walk away and smile. <laughs> You are not squeamish when it comes to action, man. That's oh. really freaking cool. And it's super inspiring, honestly. You either, man. Like, I thrive on being around people like that. Yeah, same. Same, yeah. man. That's why we're friends. I think so. Pounds. Pounds. Cheers. <laughs> anyway, so thank you guys for joining us again. As Wes said, please subscribe and share and all the, the things. We really, we really need that. It really helps us out. And if you have a suggestion, let us know. Until next week, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. Thank you.